Should we take okay. a deep breath for everybody? Do, yes, do they want to breathe deep... with us? Yes. Everyone, I need you to take three deep breaths as you're listening. And I'm staring at this red light blinking, so we're totally in the green. But I will say, you guys, if you record podcasts, I just need <laughs> – I need to vent for a second because Zencaster is not my favorite person right now, Taylor. So we just actually recorded this amazing podcast and I know you don't believe us, but we're going to make it so much better. So we're talking about coffee today. So Taylor's coffee is kicking in. (laughs) My coffee. Yeah, I was sipping it during the first round of this and now it's kicking in. Hey y'all, I'm Taylor DeHayes. I'm obsessed with all things business and fitness. I left my career as a TV reporter, followed my dreams, and created a multiple six-figure online coaching business in just one year. Now I'm sharing my strategy with you. Oh, and we'll keep it real, discussing mindset, money, and hardship to help you build the life of your dreams. So grab a cup of coffee and get cozy. Again, welcome to the Taylor Living Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. So we're talking about all things coffee, good, bad, and ugly. And I've brought on the, really the best person to speak on this topic. And that is Taylor Sappington. And I'm going to let her kind of introduce herself, but she is currently my health practitioner and she's amazing. And I've learned so much and my coffee habits in particular have changed a ton. So Taylor, if you want to introduce yourself. So we're going to take a walk down memory lane, right? As we did the first time, but Taylor's hearing this for a second time. Essentially, I was a clinician in the conventional field. And unfortunately, but fortunately, right, um, I was unable to really impact people's lives in the way that I wanted to. So insert my own health struggles. I was a chronically ill patient. Insert being introduced to all sorts of alternative modalities. Not only did these alternative modalities walk me back home, but they taught me an immense amount about our body in the process of me actively being uh, supported through resolving my chronic illnesses. And it was through that experience personally that my interest in quote unquote alternative health modalities was really set on fire, right? And that's what gave me the um, desire to leave conventional paradigm. I wanted to be able to impact people's lives in the way that my life was impacted. And I went on a several years journey of not only personal exploration, but formal education, which landed me in the spot of what is technically known as a board certified integrative health practitioner, where we wrap up multiple modalities, taking the best of each in the supporting of people in finding inside out healing. So that is my formal title for these days, board certified integrative health practitioner. What about your non-formal title? Oh God. I mean, I was like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Like a modern day (laughs) witch doctor. Yeah. Most people are like, oh, that woo-woo, that woo-woo stuff. Woo-woo works. Like I think I should make a t-shirt. Woo-woo works. I mean, you you know that I'm trying, right? Like, I really try. I'm not the woo-woo girl, but I'm trying so hard to be We're, that we're teaching our- you to integrate certain aspects of woo-woo and just be totally okay with it. Yes. Taylor has been just a tremendous help and somebody that I had been on the fence about hiring for several months. And, and ultimately, I just reached a point in my health journey that I wanted to, to reach out and I, I invested and it's been amazing. And one, one big 
kind of habit that I have, have morphed with is, you know, my coffee consumption. And so for those of you that are listening, a lot of my clients and just people that have followed me for a while, you guys know that coffee is always in my right hand, whether it's mm-hmm. morning, afternoon, or night. Um, and I haven't taken a break from it. And I mean, honestly, I remember my grandmother used to give me coffee when I was six and it was like a splash of coffee in, in milk. <laughs> And then it kind of turned into coffee by the age of eight. I mean, I'm not kidding. See, I was, and there's I was, that emotional yeah. attachment that's, that's been established, right? Because it was something um, that you did with grandma. Right. You know? Right. That's how it starts. And it was, yep. And it was full on coffee, you know, and I was taking my thermos to school in third grade and I uh, haven't taken a break since and I'm 28. So yeah. I mean, thoughts on that? Like I've never, I've never once taken a break from caffeine. Well, that's like what we said this, the first go around that we attempted to do this awesome recording, right? When we talk about something and we talk about our attachment to it over a 15 year period, I mean, how does that land? We talk about food addiction. We talk about exercise addiction, right? But we also have beverage addiction on top of shopping addictions, et cetera. So I look at that and I go, well, that probably um, is the majority of Americans, right? Like they just unconsciously and unintentionally engage in a behavior that was really ingrained into their routine at a really young age and don't think twice about exactly what it is that they're doing each morning. But how does that land for you? Like 15 years, no break. Right. And like we, like I've, I've learned personally too, is, is there such an identity around the, I, you know, the whole like coffee is part of me. I can drink all this caffeine and I'm not phased by it. And I'm talking, you know, I see you guys out there with the pre-workouts and the bang energy drinks and the coffee all hours of day. So like, can you talk about just kind of like what damage that is causing long-term and, and kind of unpacking, uh, caffeine and just the function that it serves in our bodies. Yeah. It's so interesting, right? Because when you look at somebody who's capable of consuming caffeine later on in the day, there's this automatic assumption that's associated with, well, I don't get jittery and it doesn't keep me up at night. So I must be fine with caffeine. But the reality of it is caffeine is coffee, we should say coffee and the caffeine associated with it, is the most widely utilized supplement, one, and psychoactive drug, two. And most people don't talk about the aspect of coffee and caffeine as it being a psychoactive drug, right? But caffeine, which is a known natural stimulant, crosses the blood-brain barrier and it's obviously going to cause an effect on some function of the circadian rhythm, right? So just because somebody can consume caffeine at all hours of the day doesn't mean that it's not having an impact. You know, if you're metabolizing it effectively in phase one detoxification, is phase two and phase three keeping up with phase one or are we just dealing with a volatile compound at this point that's not being properly metabolized and thus excreted? And if we bring the production of cortisol and we bring your adrenals into the conversation, the reality of it is the body functions off of... um, a natural circadian rhythm, right? If we didn't have all of the luxuries that we have today, like artificial lighting and computers and phones and televisions, we would follow the cycle of the sun up with the sun when it rises down with the sun when it sets to sleep. 
right? And when we choose to consume something like coffee and caffeine in the middle of the day, in the middle of the afternoon, we're for all intents and purposes, regardless of how we metabolize it, interrupting that circadian rhythm. So a lot of the times we see insufficient sleep patterns. A lot of the times we see insomnia. A lot of the times we see degradation of digestive function. So just because somebody can handle the caffeine doesn't mean that the caffeine consumption doesn't have physical implications on the system. I don't think that people oftentimes connect the dots though, like you just did. And like I said, it's this badge of honor of, oh, you know, I consume coffee all the time. It is what it is. Or like, you know, if they don't have coffee in the first thing in the morning, like their day is ruined. I mean, we could go on and on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's kind of my, my next question for you is that's what I did all the time. Like coffee first thing in the morning. So like I know we shouldn't be drinking coffee fasted, so why is that? So obviously, we're going to bring it back to that circadian rhythm, right? So our body naturally produces cortisol and every other hormone in your beautiful body at very specific times throughout the day. And in order for the body to remain optimally functional, all of these circadian rhythms for each particular hormone needs to remain in balance. It needs to remain in an established um, subset of time frame parameters that work for the body. This isn't about like what works best for your logical mind. This is about what works best for your body. And when we wake up in the morning, like first we can talk about the fact that overnight we move into our deepest phases of detoxification, restoration, and rejuvenation. And we lose anywhere from a half liter to a liter of water to those processes as we're asleep right? And then upon waking, we should be hitting our highest points of cortisol production for the entirety of the day. So cortisol, if you think of it, you know, as a diagram, it starts to build at four and then it gets really high and it peaks between six and 8 a.m. Like you're moving up the side of the roller coaster before you hit the downward spiral, right? And then naturally throughout the day, we have cortisol dipping, little by little in a way that's not necessarily consciously noticeable to us, but it is without a doubt noticeable to the body, you know, and cortisol blocks the receptors for adenosine. And adenosine is a hormone that allows for sleepiness and it induces relaxation. And obviously if we're consuming caffeine in the middle of the day and we're blocking the uptake of adenosine, that's going to impact how we're able to get to sleep, if we're able to get to sleep, and cortisol production because naturally caffeine stimulates the adrenals. So instead of having this beautiful bell curve of cortisol production throughout the entirety of the day where we peak when we're naturally supposed to peak and then allow the body to naturally take itself down, your body is constantly taking the cues from its environment that it needs to gear down for all intents and purposes. And then we're introducing an exogenous element through the caffeine that's interrupting that gearing down. So the body's in this like like jerking position all day, every day when we're consuming caffeine and interrupting the natural production and cadence of cortisol. Right. And so I'm going to ask you kind of a different question and take this one step further. But so for my clients or whoever's listening to this, people that are consuming a lot of caffeine and also 
suffer from high anxiety uh-huh. or that go, go, go mentality. Yeah. Can we talk about that shit storm that's being created? Well, if you think about it too, right? The production of cortisol, it, cortisol is anti-inflammatory and it's the last product in the stress-based response, right? There are all these elements that are involved in getting us to a proper stress-based response in that production of cortisol and dopamine is part of that. Neurotransmitters are a part of that. And when we consume coffee, its biggest effect is going to be on the nervous system. It stimulates that nervous system by increasing alertness. Well, as I talked about, blocking that adenosine uptake. And that adenosine uptake is needed for relaxation. So if somebody's naturally presenting with anxious tendencies, I really want to question those anxious tendencies because there's always something that drives that anxiety, right? Is there another element in their health-based picture that we need to look at that's driving dysregulation of the limbic system and driving downregulation of cognitive function? You know, but then you bring in the caffeine aspect of it and it's just further driving those anxious tendencies because your nervous system is technically not able to regulate itself in the presence of the stimulant. Right. So if somebody is, you know, okay, let's, let's say they move their caffeine consumption. They're not doing it first thing in the morning. Um, you know, when, when should we be drinking it? Right. Yeah. Cause we want to make sure that we're serving our bodies, not hurting them. Right. So obviously, like you just mentioned, the habit is because coffee is a habit and we get to mm-hmm. recognize that too. We need to mm-hmm. bring attention and awareness to our habits. And we also need to give ourselves permission to change our habits, right? In a way that's going to serve and support the body and our overall function. But if our first habit in the morning isn't to rehydrate the dehydration that we're experiencing overnight, and our first habit is to grab for a cup of coffee and consume it before we've put anything else in the body, we have to remember that, again, not only are we dysregulating our body's ability to really... Uh, garner proper stress responses, but we're also dysregulating our digestion. So we're dealing with a natural diuretic. We're already dehydrated. It's going to help our body further flush water because natural ha- um, coffee has natural diuretic properties. But if you take it a step further, digestively, we're really um, stunting our body's ability to actively engage in the production of digestive supportive um, substances. So coffee increases the production of hydrochloric acid and chronic day after day exposure to coffee without anything in the stomach to lessen the blow of that hydrochloric acid production is going to trickle over into our body's ability to actively functionally digest our food too. And that's when we start to see, you know, bloating, gas, bowel movements that require caffeine as a stimulant to make their way out of the body. So yeah, if you need to coffee to go to the bathroom in the morning, guys, yeah. like you, you have a problem. Absolutely. And it's, for, it's just further, you know, your body's so smart, right? So it's going to adapt. It's going to compensate. And we usually talk about this in the context of disease, right? Like it takes seven to 10 years for an autoimmune condition to physically present itself or physically manifest because our body is constantly compensating, right? Well, your body's going to do the same thing when it's in the presence of substances that dysregulate its natural physiological state. So your body is going to constantly seek that stimuli offered by the caffeine in order to 
optimally produce hydrochloric acid, which is going to end up really down-regulating down your digestive process. I think too, and you talk about this on your stories a lot and your Instagram, and, and I've learned so much from it as well, but just we've normalized so many symptoms, right? Yeah. Like again, we've normalized, oh, I don't feel caffeine. Yeah. Like, let me just add three energy drinks and like my pre-workout and all of that. I mean, I've seen people chase their pre-workout with an energy drink. <laughs> <Bless>. <laughs> like it's literally just such a badge of honor. And, and it's almost like a rite of passage in some of these like hardcore gyms and like yeah. whatever. But my point is like, it's when what what would you say to people that would actually, you know, to make them, I guess, take a, a, a deeper look, right? People mm -hmm. think that like, if they're not on their deathbed, it's not impacting them, right? God bless. This is like we talked about before, biofeedback, right? Most people are so disconnected from their body that they're unaware of what healthy biofeedback looks like. And we can really simplify the biofeedback, right? We can talk about what time we go to bed. Are we able to get to sleep in a 10 to 15 minute period? Or does it take us half hour, 45 minutes, an hour to fall asleep? Do we sleep? through the night? Are we getting up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom? Are we able to get out of bed without hitting snooze 5, 10, 15 times? When we get up, are we the caboose on a train or are we like up and at them as soon as we get that initial light exposure in the morning, right? How are our bowel movements? What does our brain function look like? Can we carry on a conversation or do we lose our thoughts mid-sentence? Are we unable to find words? How is our cycle showing up? Ladies, is it routine and regular? Mm -hmm. Is it without symptoms, right? PMS, we've normalized PMS. We've normalized PMDD. We've, no we've normalized bloating. We've normalized irregular bowel movements. At what oh, point... I mean, um, like at what point are we going to start questioning what we've normalized and talk about how all of it may be common, but it's not normal, right? Mm -hmm. So the consumption mm -hmm. of caffeine, you know, obviously can lend itself. Can you go without the coffee? I think that's the greatest testament to your codependence with the coffee, right? So are we able to remove the coffee without an emotional response and then without a physical response? And if we can't check both of those boxes, then it's really like it's time to start questioning our codependence on the coffee and what we need to do to create a healthier relationship with its consumption. I mean, for me, it was a hard no, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know that, you knew that. The first question I asked on our discovery call was, hey, do I have to remove coffee? What if I just don't drink as much? You're like, no, it has to go for a little bit. But yeah. I was a severe case, right? Like I've told you guys already on this podcast. And for those of you that have followed me for a while, you know that coffee is literally part of my identity. I mean, it sounds silly, but it really was. If there's a culture um, with coffee. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yep. So, you know, my question now is, okay, so we're going to keep our coffee in a perfect world to after our first meal, yep. that's going to be the most beneficial. We've got that. But like, now I want to talk about what, what kind of coffee, because mm -hmm. I've learned that there's 
you probably don't want to always just grab a bag at the store these days. So can we talk about kind of sourcing and where to get coffee? Yeah. So as we've discussed in the community container, right, sourcing Mm -hmm. with the majority of what we consume, whether it's food or beverage, is really important. And there are varying degrees of purism, right? And when it comes to something like coffee or like fruits and vegetables or, you know, land animal meats, when we're sourcing anything that we're going to consume, whether it's, you know, we consume it through eating it, drinking it, or even putting it on our body, uh, I am one that believes there needs to be a certain degree of purity. So when it comes to coffee, right, Are we questioning the sustainability of the production of the bean? Most people are probably not questioning that, but that needs to be brought into question. Where is the coffee bean coming from? How was it treated in the production process to get it to the shelf that you're currently pulling it off of, right? Was it sustainably sourced? Is it organically farmed, right? Is it a blend or is it a singular bean? That makes a big difference too because coffee oftentimes contains mold, mycotoxins, which are associated with mold, and pesticides. And what what do we do? We obviously grind the bean and we put it in a pod, which is now being run through a moldy Keurig. We, t- we talked about this before. We're drinking a cup of watery mold, right? Or are we consuming it when it's instant too? Like you said, Folgers in the, you know, the last conversation that we had. So like, It's really important to make sure that when you source your coffee, you're sourcing it with a brand that has integrity and you're sourcing it from a brand that's willing to be transparent about its farming, harvesting, and production processes. That's really important. I have to kind of backtrack because I think people are going to be listening to this and not understand not really understand that you just said coffee can contain mold. Yes. I think people are like, I'm sorry, mold? What? Yep. And it's in the growing practices, right? Really, if you look at how coffee is grown or how corn is grown or how legumes are grown, they're exposed to outdoor elements, right? And mold loves dark, humid, and moist environments. Well, if you look at most of the farming culture around the foods that I just mentioned, it's going to happen or occur during seasons that allow for moist, damp environments, and that allows for the proliferation of mold. And mold is not something that we see or we smell oftentimes, and it's the bean that carries the mold. So ensuring that your coffee bean is being produced or harvested by a farm that is aware of mold and mycotoxicity presence in the bean is going to be really important. And guys, this comes down to knowing your brands, because most brands are not going to be transparent right? Mm -hmm. When it comes to what they do in terms of farming practices and how they get the food that you're consuming or the beverage that you're consuming to your cup or to your plate. And there are brands out there that are willing to walk you through and provide education on, you know, the harvesting practices of their coffee bean. And I think it's important to know, like, you're probably, you're going to need to find Mm -hmm these companies, right? And I know working with you, I've been more aware, but you know, that Starbucks coffee that you're drinking (laughs) on a daily basis is not not only rocket fuel, but it's likely full of mold, right? (laughs) Yes. You know, not only it's interesting too, because even the caffeine found in, let's just say a venti cup is 
10 times the limit that you would find in a normal cup of coffee. So I don't know what Starbucks is doing to their bean, right? I'm probably going to get some fire, you know, backfire on this. <laughs> but the quality of the Starbucks bean doesn't pass the purity test with Taylor, right? I love the brand Purity, which I introduced you to. I love the Bulletproof brand. So these are examples of companies that are extremely transparent in their harvesting process. They're extremely transparent about the um, like the bean being organic. They're extremely transparent about how things are being um, processed through the roasting process that they all offer to get certain types of finishes on the bean. And that's really important. It, you know, unfortunately... Being a conscious consumer and being intentional about what we're consuming requires a certain degree of personal responsibility. And a lot of the times that means researching brands and getting on the phone with the company and asking questions. I know you do that. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's really important, right? Because if I'm going to recommend something to you or I'm going to expose anyone in my house to something or I'm going to consume it, I want to make sure that it meets a certain standard and it sits at a certain benchmark. Right. And a lot of the products that we consume utilize a lot of labeling and advertising that allow for the consumer to feel good about what they're buying, but doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting a quality product once you put it in your cart and you take it home for consumption. So I, I'm an open book and I'm vulnerable. So like, I just would love for you to kind of bringing coffee into, into this conversation, like what did you find looking at my results and how is this actually, use me as, as a case study right now. So there was obviously a lot of adrenal, um, maladaptation, right? So adrenal fatigue, many people are aware of adrenal fatigue. It's almost like a buzzword in the health field, the health and wellness field. But the reality of it is adrenal maladaptation is real, right? And when we rely on certain habits to get us through life, those habits eventually take a toll on our physiology. We are one big chemistry project, right? And what caffeine consumption does is it allows for further dysregulation of the adrenals, further degradation of perhaps a digestive tract that's already suffering from overgrowth. And it also allows for the introduction of organic elements that we may not find elsewhere, such as mold, right? So what we found with your test results was not only an element of mold and mycotoxicity, but we also found overgrowth. And in all of that, dysregulation in the production and utilization of neurotransmitters and adrenal maladaptation, as well as demineralization. So the gastrointestinal tract, once again, incapable of fully breaking down digesting food that we're exposing it to. And then obviously on the back end of that, not allowing for your body to absorb the vitamins, the minerals, the nutrients, the vitality that are the building blocks of life. And and this isn't to demonize coffee, Mm -hmm. right? Like We've talked about it. Like coffee can be good. There are are great, there's a lot of good stuff from it, like mental clarity at times, like, you know, antioxidants, all of these good things. But I think that the way in which we consume coffee, like you said, coffee culture is is very backwards, right? Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. If you look at any European culture, right, coffee plays a particular role in the whole scheme of consumption. It's very much a social thing, which... 
these days especially, we're not engaging in meals or the consumption of beverages socially. We're habitually and routinely consuming things, but we're not doing it as a means of enhancing or amplifying the pleasure that's associated with establishing connection and community, right? But coffee, when it's consumed appropriately, can be utilized to enhance digestion, can be utilized to enhance cognitive function, can be utilized to enhance energy expense by the body. It, it can be utilized as anti, you know, it has certain anti-cancer components as well too in certain circumstances. It's been noted in clinical literature to enhance the cognitive function of those with Alzheimer's and dementia. It's chock full of antioxidants such as, you know, B vitamins, B2 and B5, manganese, potassium, magnesium, right? There's a lot that can, be, that can be benefited from the consumption of coffee, but we bring it back to that intentionality and that awareness. Are we using it post-meal to enhance the digestive process? Are we timing our consumption of it in order to ensure that cortisol, you know, at its highest peak has been experienced and now we can gently manipulate and utilize that stimuli to work for us instead of against us? Intentionality around when we consume it and how we consume it is key to being able to capitalize off of what the caffeine has to offer for the physical body. Right. Um, I think that's, that's literally the key, just being intentional and not treating coffee like it's water, right? And yeah. just being very intentional with when we consume it and, and being honest with yourself. I mean, I knew that it was not normal to not feel the impact of caffeine, but I quite frankly didn't really care because I didn't think anything was wrong. But like you've like we've unpacked in this discussion so far, being bloated or having coffee to go to the bathroom or having coffee to wake up or not getting a, a great night's sleep. It's like normal to not sleep well, right? It's it's and it doesn't mean that it's, it's or it's not normal. So, it's ab- it's, it's common. Yeah, I was gonna it. say it's very common. I mean most of the people that come into practice experience disrupted sleep. And if people understood the significance of the impact associated with disrupted sleep everybody would take sleep routines a lot more serious than they actually do, right? If everybody understood how critical it was to be in bed by 9.30, to be asleep by 10, to allow our body to get the full eight hours of not just deep sleep, but REM sleep, allow for the body to move into autophagy, allow the body to move into cell turnover, allow the body to move into deep detoxification and compartmentalization. I mean, it's it's like active rest right? Even though we're not consciously aware of what's going on while we're asleep, your body is busy at work in order to make sure that you're prepared for the next day. And if we're not sleeping through the night or our sleep is of poor quality and quantity, we're not going to be prepared for the next day. And how many people show up day after day unprepared from their night of sleep? Right. I mean, you right. can't ta- you can't tackle the day efficiently and effectively if you're con- if you're chronically fatigued, chronically fatigued, relying on caffeine, all of those things. Yeah, and and now I want to go into you know I was telling you earlier when I was drinking my coffee. See, now it's kicking in, right? Yeah. But I was my coffee was laced with all kinds of you know artificial ingredients, but I've really loved what I've kind of created lately. And that's using more of like a natural approach with some stevia spices, things of that nature. 
But I am telling you, and I know you've seen me do this even on our group calls, like I have shown my box of vanilla liquid Splenda, which is like I told you, I think I might keep it for like jokes. But <laughs> I mean, these skinny syrups are everywhere. These artificials, like Splenda packets. Can you talk about what that actually is. Oh God. So, okay. So let's talk about Splenda, right? So Splenda is obviously an artificial sweetener. Splenda is one molecule away from chlorine. So if we think about chlorine, what is the purpose of chlorine? Um, Chlorine is an antibiotic, essentially. It is a biowarfare weapon that is utilized in, you know, with militaries all over the world. We are quite literally consuming an element, right, that has antimicrobial effects once consumed on our inner ecosystem. So artificial sweeteners do a number on the microbiome. And so many people are like, well, I'm only doing a little bit a day. Okay, but you're doing it every single day, day after day after day right? So when we consume artificial sweeteners, which do have an antimicrobial effect, in the long run, the landscape of the microbiome becomes imbalanced and dysbiotic. If we take it a step further, right? Artificial sweeteners completely compromise our palate. So we become incapable of identifying flavors for what they actually are, and we become addicted to the next sweet hit nothing's sweet enough. The things that are naturally made sweet by mother nature become, you know, not good enough in regards to flavor, right? And caloric intake and recognition. Most of the time, artificial sweeteners have an impact on blood sugar. They have an impact on our body's ability to properly identify and recognize caloric intake. And this creates long-term issues as well too with our body's ability to properly identify and register what it is we're consuming. We become hungry inappropriately. We don't have full satisfaction with meals. And again, we're incapable of identifying flavors that are really necessary in the overall um, diversification of our palate. This is something that really hits home with me uh, because I have a huge sweet tooth and it was really, it was really, you know, brought to light for me during bodybuilding preps. And, you know, the lower your calories get, you're tracking your macros. It's at some point, it's kind of just like you just want something sweet and you can't fit anything in when you're close to competition. And so uh, I would douse everything in Walden Farms. I mean, oh my God, Uh the caramel syrups that you're like, oh God. (laughs) But can we just like, I, I remember like nothing is sweet enough, but then a lot of those habits you know, kind of stay with you afterwards. So for me, like my friends joke, because I just, I like things like almost saturated in sweetness. I mean, it's gross and and I, and my hunger cues are messed up. And that will come like that all can come back online, right? It's just going to take time under tension and exposure to different flavors and stabilization of blood sugar and really releasing the pressure valve on the body in regards to stress. Like this all does eventually make its way back to homeostasis, right? But you're experiencing in real time what it's like to continuously expose yourself to artificial sweeteners, right? 
and how that impacts your body's ability to stabilize itself. It's destabilizing. It's destabilizing to the microbiome, which also plays a role in hunger and satiety cues, as well as the production of critical hormones, metabolization of critical hormones. Um, but it also, you know, dysregulates the palate. So, you know, like I said, we've, we've talked about natural varieties and I know you're a big fan of, of spices and yeah. natural powders. And, and like I said, guys, you know, I've found that even though stevia is, is there's definitely an adjustment period, especially if you're used to very saturated flavors like crystal lights and, you know, Splendas and things of that nature, like it's going to take some time, but I... I just feel better. Like, I don't feel like I'm craving more. I don't feel the need to have sweets constantly. Um, or, and it, it was, and the problem is I wouldn't, I wouldn't honor that craving and have something that was actually like decadent. I would just add more Splenda. Right. Oh man. <laughs> so this is, again, this is like the really important aspect of diversifying our intake and starting to play with flavors. You know, obviously, once we start transitioning out of the artificial sweeteners and the non-dairy creamers that are chock full of quote-unquote natural flavorings, right, which natural flavorings are not regulated by the FDA. Um, we mentioned this the first go-around. Yes, yeah, my but, favorite. You know, we were talking about how Breyer's ice cream, or even I think Ben and Jerry's, utilizes beaver anal glands as part of their vanilla flavoring. I mean, we're talking about an industry that's willing to sweep something like that under the rug and label it as a natural flavoring to allow you to continue to come back and consume because obviously these industries want repeat business. But in the consumption of these quote unquote natural flavorings, we're also modifying physiology. We're modifying psychology, right? It keeps us addicted. A lot of the things that the food industry focuses on in terms of flavoring is what's going to keep the consumer coming back for more. And little by little with each exposure, we become that much more addicted to whatever it is that we're consuming and that much sicker. But the illness happens slowly under the radar over time with the consumption of these things, right? And our body's ability to modulate and regulate flavor and enjoy what we're engaging in in terms of our meals becomes more of a thing of the past because the more artificial right. ingredients that we're exposed to and the more addictive it becomes to the brain and the more um, skewed our physiology becomes, the more we're going to crave that thing or something similar instead of being able to really enjoy the natural flavors offered by fresh food. So, I mean, ugh, Taylor, what if I just can't give up my pumpkin spice flavored coffee creamer. Like what, what do you want me to do about I that? I mean, are you willing to give up uh, proper bowel movements or natural energy or sound sleep? I mean, there's always going to be a give and a take and a quote risk and reward, right? We just have to sit down and really reflect upon what we're willing to give up and in exchange for what, right? If we are exchanging vitality, if we are exchanging optimal function of the overall place that we call home for the entirety of our time here in this school called life, right? I mean, is it really worth the artificial pumpkin spice sweetened beverage that you're consuming every day? Because you're going to eventually hit a wall, 
Like it's, it's inevitable. Like we're eventually going to hit a wall with our physical function if we choose flavor and impulse over intentional conscious consumerism. So if somebody is listening to this and we've unpacked a lot, we've unpacked, you know, like mold, like, I mean, things that I didn't even realize about, like your body could have mold, like yeah. until I worked with you. I mean, that's been so mind blowing for me and explaining it to my friends. My friends are like, I'm sorry, what? Like yeah. you have mold in your body? It's actually so, more common than people realize, right? Yeah. So, are, so is sick building syndrome. So is water damage building, condensation in the bathroom, not using a dehumidifier. I mean, most people don't know the humidity stature of their home. You know, it doesn't take visible water to grow mold. <laughs> so if somebody, I know. So if somebody wants to like, or thinks they need to have testing done or like what, I know we've talked about biofeedback, but mm-hmm. when would you encourage somebody to take that action? Uh, if somebody has the same background as me, they've been drinking artificials and caffeine for decades upon decades, like what should they do? Honestly, I always go with the sooner the better, right? Because the hole doesn't get shallow. The hole just gets deeper. And I, my favorite cases in practice are people that are like, I really am feeling called to learn more about myself and my body and look at things through a different lens and explore a deeper capacity but I don't have any obvious health issues, right? Well, I always like to compare it to the car. We don't have to have our engine blowing up in order for us to take our car in for routine maintenance. And if we so choose to push the limits and wait until our engine is blowing up to take the car in to be seen by a mechanic, then obviously the bill is going to get a lot bigger and the services needed to support our car back to optimal function is going to be a much longer list than if you're just getting routine maintenance. Well, it's the same thing with your body, right? If you have, you know, even minor variances in your cycle or you go a day without having a bowel movement or you deal with bloat on a fairly routine and regular basis, basis or, you know, cognitive function is questionable, like brain fog sets in, or you hit a wall at two o'clock in the afternoon. These symptoms are communications and messengers from the body that something is off. We should work like a well-oiled machine. And obviously when the machine gears get gunky, the gears slow down. They'll still work, but they're not going to work optimally. Your body is this, it functions the same way. So I always say the earlier, the better, right? But also it really benefits somebody to be committed to the process. I mean, this, this process with you has been eye opening. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it's not all because of coffee, obviously we know this, um, (laughs) but that's been a, a big change for me. And I've noticed, uh, blood sugar has been a lot more, regular. I have noticed I don't feel sleepy at two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm keeping my coffee after my first meal. Mm -hmm. So for people that are listening to this thinking like, oh, well, that's never going to be me. I don't need to hire anybody. I don't need to do testing. You know, I mean, what do you want to say to them to kind of help them and, and maybe those who are looking for a place to start? So lifestyle is going to go a long way. First and foremost, the bubble that you're living in, how do I get in it? Because if all of us can get into a bubble where we don't deal with anything, I think we would all happily live there, 
right? But the reality of it is all of us are going to experience some sort of dysfunction or dysregulation simply based on the environment that we live in, right? Our body is this flip phone in an iPhone generation, and it does not get routine and regular updates. Therefore, the the advancement of the ecosystem is really challenging our body's ability to live in integrity with it. So there are things that you can do, and you've mentioned a few of them, right? If somebody's just looking for lifestyle mitigation, which they're powerful, right? Some of the subtlest things that we integrate and practice are the most potent and impactful in the long run. But like you said, consume your coffee after your morning meal. Make sure that you're consciously, you know, purchasing a brand that is allowing for you to consume a product that is in integrity and in the way that it's produced and the way that it's, you know, placed on the shelf. And it's going to allow for integrity, obviously, with the body too. What we put in the body has to be digested and metabolized by the body. So let's enhance or clean up the, the products that we're consuming, you know, making sure that you consume ample amounts of water with electrolytes upon waking, you know, hydration and dehydration are a really big focal point in practice because most of us walk around chronically dehydrated. And if, again, we're losing anywhere from a half liter to a liter of water overnight to the detoxification process, and then we're consuming a diuretic on top of that, we're not doing ourselves any favors. So making sure that you're consuming water upon waking, making sure that you're consuming food before consuming your coffee, making sure you consume your coffee between 9.30 and 11 in the morning, right? I mean, it's very simple things that can go a really long way, making sure that what you put in your coffee, you're conscious of too. I mean, we've you know, talked about the detriment of artificial sweeteners, but many of the creamers that people like to consume right alongside their coffee are chock full of chemical ingredients that are not agreeable to the inner ecosystem. So getting creative in the kitchen, being willing to explore spices, you know, utilizing different combinations of non-dairy milk in order to find a consistency that works well for you. It's just about intentional awareness in consumption, really. Yep. And being intentional and remembering that it's This podcast was not, I didn't want to do this to scare anybody or to freak anybody out, but more of just, I've learned so much, right? And it's like, you know, I was a case where a lot needed to change very fast, right? But for those of you that just, you know, have your afternoon coffees and, you know, I would encourage you to be more intentional. What, why do you feel like you need that? What can we do uh, to change that need? And maybe you add more of a ritual around your coffee in the morning. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, we drink coffee because we like the process. So maybe yeah. take your time with your French press or sit down with your cup of coffee versus running out the door with it. We live in a society where it's always about what's next, right? Like I made it through this, what's next? I had my meal, what's next, right? I'm finished my work, you know, for the day, what's next? And we don't actively engage in the moment. You can be purposefully present and being purposefully present is going to really allow you to enjoy the processes of your day. So whether that's making a meal and sitting down and savoring the meal or like you're saying, Taylor, you know, taking your time in grinding the coffee bean 
you know, smelling and savoring the smell as you steep it, sitting down and really reflecting over it. It's a perfect excuse in the morning to take some time for yourself. And we're only given the time we're willing to create for ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So choosing to engage consciously in you know, how we show up to the consumption or the production and the consumption, you're going to enjoy that cup of coffee much more if you savor the process of what it took to create it. So I think we've unpacked a lot again, (laughs) the second time, right? Because we love, we love doing things twice. So for a second time, I want you to tell us where can people find you? Of course. So I hang out on Instagram. So at tailored wellbeing is where you can find me. My DMs are always open. Um, I post a lot of free content to educate on a lot of these topics. And then I also have a podcast called Tailored Talks. It's recently released where we unpack in much further depth things like mold, things like birth control and your cycle. So, um, but really, if somebody's looking to get in touch with me, Instagram is probably the primary way to do so. <sighs> yeah, your podcast is awesome. I've learned so much. The mold Thank one, you. guys, if you listen to this and you're like, what the heck? I'm going to encourage you to go listen to that Life one. Life will never be the same. <laughs> it won't be, but <laughs> in the best way possible. Ah, thank you, Taylor, for doing this again. You are the best, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Thank you. I want to give you a virtual high five for finishing another episode of the Taylor Living Podcast. If you're looking for a community of badass go-getters to bounce ideas and answer questions, join my exclusive goal-getter community on Facebook. The link's waiting for you on Instagram. Until next time, bye, y'all.